From the Bill of Rights Institute, Fabric of History weaves together U.S. history, founding principles, and what all of this means to us today. Join us as we pull back the curtains of the past to see what's inside. Baseball has always been a central part of America's culture and of water cooler talk at BRI. But did you know that it has an integral part in American history as well? From civil rights to globalization, elements of baseball have mirrored and even led these movements through time. Today, Mary is joined by Adam Cushing, BRI COO and self-proclaimed baseball aficionado, and Dr. Vincent Canato, professor of history at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, to discuss some of the most important movements reflected in baseball and America's love of the game. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fabric of History. I'm Mary Patterson, and I'm delighted to be with you all once again. Today, I'm joined by two very special guests to help me chew through a topic that is admittedly a little out of my league. I'm talking about America's pastime baseball. How has baseball been a part of U.S. history? To help me out, we have brought in the Bill of Rights Institute's own chief operating officer and hardcore Dodgers fan, Adam Cushing. Adam, thanks for being with us today. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Honestly, I really came because of the guest you're about to introduce, so I think it's the real expert. (laughs) And just as kind of an absolute fanatical fan, I I just really wanted to be here. So thank you. Absolutely. And without further ado, my next guest that Adam is referencing is Dr. Vincent Canato. Dr. Canato is an associate professor of history at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, where he teaches, among other things, a lecture course entitled America's National Pastime, the History of Baseball. Dr. Canato, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Mary. So even for a baseball philistine like myself, this course that you're teaching sounds fascinating. So I can't wait to talk about it with you. And I'm sure Adam will will have much more educated uh, questions and comments as we go along. But before we play ball and listeners, I would I challenge you to point out or comment on all the terrible puns I'm going to try to throw into this conversation. Let me give you a little background on how we came to this topic. We have discussed on the fabric of history before associations and leisure time, and we mentioned baseball, and we concluded that baseball is such a big thing that it really needs its own conversation. And baseball as a part of that conversation of leisure time is all about, you know, society and our community and how we need downtime as much as we need formal government institutions. And BRI is all about teaching civics. We love our formal government institutions, but we also need these informal community traditions and institutions like Little League and the World Series to as part of our society. So that's kind of how we came back to this topic of baseball and why I'm sitting here today with Adam and Dr. Canato. So shall we play ball, as they say? Let's play. Let's take the field. Let's play. Okay. So I have to start, I have to start with this course that you teach. So how why do you use baseball as your lens to talk about US history? Yeah, uh, I mean, first of all, we're trying in this day and age, you and your listeners are probably aware that uh, history is a tougher sell. I don't want to say a hard sell, but a tougher sell with students, right? Getting them interested in history. Uh, there's often a sense that history is boring. So in our department, we're trying to come up with 
lecture courses, especially at the introductory level, that provide students a window into history that is more interesting for them. So I use baseball as a way to talk about American history. There are so many themes in American history that you can talk about using baseball. So, you know, we talk about the great teams, great players in baseball. We talk about playing styles and how they evolve, but we also manage to tie in some of these themes in U.S. history to what's happening on ball fields. You know, one of the, the, the best example, of course, is Jackie Robinson and the integration of baseball, talking about race relations in America, talking about segregation. You can talk about the rise of Jim Crow in the late 1800s, and that really mirrors Jim Crow in baseball and what's happening in baseball. And then the same thing when we get to the 1940s with Jackie Robinson, you know, you have the integration of, uh, of the military and then Jackie Robinson. And then a decade later, you get Brown v. Board of Education and the Civil Rights Movement. So there are, there's a lot of things that you just said that I'm fascinated by. First, my heart breaks when you say that history is becoming a harder sell because it's boring. That's just the history teacher inside of me just cries inside because I students would say that to me as a high school former high school history teacher and I'm just like no you're just wrong you're wrong and I'm gonna <laughs> prove you wrong so I think we should all again I can't wait I'm gonna when this course is online Dr. Canato I'm, I'm definitely signing up I'll let you know okay <laughs> but I think so you mentioned that there are so many themes and we chatted before in your course and um race and segregation being a big one. And the story of Jackie Robinson, I think is, is a really, it's such a powerful story. And we love, we love powerful stories at BRI. And even as someone who's not a huge baseball person, I mean, I know the story of Jackie Robinson and I knew it was significant, but I think if you really pause and zoom in on his story, I think there's a greater appreciation for just how significant it was. So can you, um, can you, I guess, walk us through what was baseball like before, or what was this idea of the color bar? So I, I always do the phrase, you know, Jackie Robinson breaks the color bar, but I didn't really know what that meant. So could you break that down a little bit for us? Yeah. Um, you know, there is a color line that, that, exists in baseball. It's interesting that it was never a rule. It was always in informal agreement among owners not to hire African-American players. There are in the 1880s, there are some African-American players in professional baseball, uh, but that window closes very quickly. And from the late 1880s down to the 1940s, there's a color line. It's an informal one. There's no law. It's not done by law. It's not done by Congress. Uh, it's not even an agreement. It's, it's a sort of an unspoken code among owners that they won't uh, integrate baseball, that they'll keep it segregated. And ultimately, it's the Brooklyn Dodgers and their general manager, Branch Rickey, who decide um, – Hey, let's break this unwritten rule, right? We want to find the best player. We're putting together the best team. There had been some others before Ricky who had kind of toyed with the idea. Um, sometimes they like to pass along players like, you know, light skinned players as uh, Native Americans, perhaps. Oh, you know, that was yeah. an attempt to kind of get around these things, but it was really Ricky. Um, and, you know, he was a complex man. He, he certainly had what were progressive ideas about race for the time, but he also wanted to win. And um, 
And that's the story. And that's, that's how they broke down the color line. And, and, and he chose Robinson specifically. I mean, he was, uh, he was, he just wasn't any player. He chose Jackie Robinson specifically to do this. I've always been fascinated about, uh, his breaking of the color of the color barrier there. And I've always wondered, was Ricky always going to be first? Because I've always was struck by the fact that as soon as it, as the color line was broken within, there was, teams began to sign other players very quickly. And so I've always kind of wondered where a bunch of teams kind of sitting there thinking about it and kind of going, I don't want to be the first one. But as soon as someone took that first step, boom, a whole bunch of people said, well, I want those players too. You know, I want the best players. Yes. Although you do have to remember that not every team jumped into the integration no, game. Not everyone. Right. The the last team to integrate was the Boston Red Sox. And it was about a decade after Jackie Robinson. The Yankees were the second to last team to integrate. And even when they teams do integrate, it's interesting. They will usually only have, and we're talking the late 40s, 1950s, two or three African American players. There's almost an informal quota on the number of black players that a team would have. The Dodgers were the exception. The Giants were another team that had a few more African-Americans, later the Cardinals. Uh, Bill Veck, who was an interesting you know, owner, he had tried, I and mean, he was kind of a renegade owner. He had, wa- at one point he wanted to buy, I forget which team, and, and field an all African-American baseball team. I think, uh, but the owners didn't really like him. That was so. Th- there were others who were kind of toying with the idea, but yeah. Once Ricky, and this is true in society in general, the first person who kind of breaks down one of these barriers, then others come along and, and, and rush in. That's that's a really interesting comment. I was thinking that as you were telling that story, and Adam, as you asked that question, it's like no one wants to be the first one to say, "I have a question," or "I need to you need to speak up for something." And the other thing, well, two more things. But the other thing about this man, Ricky, I had never heard of his part of the story. You just hear about Jackie Robinson, but I think it's interesting to note that whenever we talk about someone, you know, whose name does get passed on and is famous for doing something significant, there's always these other people involved in that story that sometimes aren't, you know, um, we don't get to hear their names or their stories as much. So it's almost like we all kind of stand on the shoulders of other people and doing great things. Ricky was also an innovator in baseball, generally speaking, even before Jackie. Uh, he had basically okay. created what we know as the modern minor league system. Uh, so, yeah, he was a, um, he was an innovator known even before this. He was someone who was trying to do new things uh, in baseball. And I think it takes that kind of a personality to do something is, like this. Yeah, that that is really interesting. I am I am a little familiar with the minor leagues because I am a Baltimore Orioles fan by marriage, which means basically whenever I get together with my husband's family, they just yell about the Orioles <laughs> with each other. And my understanding is they've been bad for a very long time, but there are some prospects at the minor league level. So, just putting that out there for all you all you fellow Orioles fans or Orioles fans through marriage. But there was another piece of, of that story of Jackie Robinson that um, was really interesting. So you mentioned that in the 1880s that there were some African-American players playing professionally. I never knew that. Um, and I also think that's really fascinating if you think about sort of American history writ large. I and mean, when we have this period after the Civil War with Reconstruction, there's really some huge changes in in 
in our society and you have African-Americans serving in Congress and you have African-Americans serving in all these positions and you have African-Americans playing baseball, but that window is very, as you said, it's very, um, very short. So, or it closes very quickly. So I think that's really another interesting way in which baseball is kind of a mirror of our history um, writ large. But I I wanted to ask you about um, the Negro League. So I know that there was a Negro League and did that did that keep existing after Jackie Robinson signs on or how does that sort of peter out? Well, that's that's one of the stories about integration. Ultimately, okay. the story of integration means the the end of the Negro Leagues. Not okay. immediately. The okay. Negro Leagues kind of limp along into the 1950s. But once the best black players could go into the major leagues, uh, that meant really the end of the Negro Leagues. And you know, there, there's a, a parallel there to the the broader story of integration. That, you know. During the time of integration, you had um, you had black neighborhoods in various cities that were, you know, sort of centers of culture. Think of Harlem, uh, down in D.C., uh, along U Street. Uh, there are sort of pockets of African-American businesses, and culture. And once integration began, those neighborhoods started to kind of fall apart because African-Americans were not kept in those they had more opportunities not perfect opportunities but they had more and the same thing with the negro leagues it was really the end the jack so it's a positive story about the integration of baseball but the loss of this institution uh, which was important in the black community yeah i do think that that loss there is we always think i think of integration and brown v board as as huge victories and they certainly were in the case of you know realizing this, uh, our founding principle of equality. But like, as you said, there is something that is lost at the same time. So it's a really interesting comment. It's not a defense of segregation, right? Make no, it clear. Absolutely We're not, it's, not. It's just, you know, I, I think it's probably was better for African-American players to be able to go into the major leagues, and show off their talents to a broader audience and get bigger paychecks and so forth. But, you know, the Negro leagues mostly had a, a, a black fan base and, um, that was, it was also a cultural experience. It was important. These were important institutions in the black community. Yeah. I want to, so before we um, sort of move into another, a new play, huh? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is that work? A new play? Can you say that in baseball? I don't even know. That shows you how terrible I am. But I did want to say that um, just to circle back to Jackie Robinson as, as a, as an individual. So I think that what's interesting about his story is that, you know, he had his own personal courage and his own talent, um, as a player, but also just as a citizen, right. To be the first one to, to break, you know, the color barrier and the, the threats and everything that he faced in that his family faced. I think it's really a story of courage and significance. And we in our BRI has an online textbook that you guys can check out on mybri.org called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And we have a story, we have Jackie Robinson's story on there. And I just want to read you as we close out Jackie Robinson here, a quote from that story, because it's so powerful. And even for people who aren't you know, super baseball fans. I think it really is worth revisiting his story and what it means in the larger picture. And it says, the stories of Robinson and other African-American pioneers are often seen as simply part of the history of baseball 
rather than as a turning point in American history that served as a spark for the larger civil rights movement. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Jackie Robinson was, and I quote, a pilgrim that walked in the lonesome byways toward the high road of freedom. He was a sit-inner before sit-ins, a freedom rider before freedom rides, end quote. I think, I mean, if Martin Luther King Jr. is describing you in these terms, that's that's pretty high praise. And I think that's, you know, that's definitely a story worth telling and worth revisiting. So why don't we take a quick break and see what other baseball stories we can explore? Before our break, we really zoomed in a little bit on the Jackie Robinson story and this this idea of race and segregation in baseball mirroring sort of what's going on in the United States writ large. So now I want to maybe zoom out a little bit and just think about baseball in general. So what is it about baseball, in your opinion, Adam, Dr. Canato, that makes it our national pastime? Why do we call it that? Why not? Why isn't football our national pastime? I mean, football might be more popular today than baseball in the way things are, have go, are going. There's a lot of there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up with baseball. It's a very nostalgic game about history more than any other sport. It's about history. It's about the past. It's about connections, fathers and sons, especially fathers and daughters as well, playing catch, these connections across generations. Um, it's about the seasons, right? It begins in the spring when, when things are coming back to life, at least up here in the north. Uh, baseball begins and then it blossoms in the summertime. Everybody's outside playing. Uh, and people are going to games. And then in the fall, when, when we start, things get cold and we start retreating in, baseball winds down with, with the World Series. It follows the rhythms of, of the season. It's a pastoral game, at least in our mythology, right? We associate with Field of Dreams, with a country, with cornfields. There's that nostalgia. The reality is baseball began as an urban game. It began as a game in cities. But that's also important as well because we're also an urbanized country. But it, it, it's that Jeffersonian idea that, that's very romantic in, in the American uh, mindset. So I think all of these things help draw us to baseball uh, it's also, it's got its own rhythms. It's, you know, it has no time to it, right? One of those, there's no time limits to it. It's kind of an open-ended game. It's played on these broad green fields. Uh, it's less violent than base, than football, of course, which I think helps it in some ways. Uh, so there's all these things I think are wrapped up in how we see baseball. Yeah. One of my thoughts has always been that while it's a team sport, there is a real individual element to it. And I know even when I played as a kid, it appealed to me a lot more than, say, football. Like you could, you could often go and find, uh, you know, a, and go play catch with a handful of people or bat with a handful of people or kind of just show up with your gloves somewhere and be able to play. You might be able to do that with football, but it just wasn't as often. And I do think it kind of appeals to that, I don't know, that, that kind of ideal of, of American individualism. Where you know I can I can go be the great pitcher I can be the batter I'm the center fielder you know everybody sort of has their role but there's all these kind of distinct competitions where you know the pitcher versus the batter you know once the ball is hit then the fielders are in play and so on and so forth and I've just always kind of thought that that was that was something that appealed to me to comment so first I'll comment on. I, I love the phrase, Dr. Canato, you had this, this rhythms, right? The seasonal rhythms, which I never thought about before, but that makes a lot of sense. And I distinctly remember 
I can't, I can't, I can't keep track of time now, but if it must have been last spring when everything had been totally shut down or maybe it was this spring, again, I have a, I have a little one. So my sense of time is just like, <laughs> what day is it? But my husband and I and our son were going for a walk and we saw like a little league team in a field practicing. And it was one of the first times we had seen like kids outside together <laughs> since because of all the COVID shutdowns. And we were like, Ah, oh, I think we both were just so happy. And there was this big, you know, like, oh, normalcy, like kids playing baseball. Um, that's what that made me think of. And I think you're right that it is, it's just very much part of our, um, of our community, this idea of our, you know, it's a tradition. It's part of our collective identity. Like it's not, we say we won. I didn't win anything. I was just watching, but we still say, you know, we won the game. I think that's really powerful. You know, association and community is really powerful. And again, even for someone like me, who's not, you know, I'm not a season ticket holder, but I appreciate that about baseball. And I think that that's, um, you know, it's definitely, if it's an entry point to get students into history, then I'm especially all for it because I think, you know, this, these stories about people on the teams and about the teams themselves and where they go and the story of the sport is, if that hooks you in, then hey, right, <laughs> we'll take whatever, whatever wins we can get. So we started off by saying, you know, what's, what is it about baseball? And I think we've, you know, we've shown it's a big part of our traditions and it's a part of our our history in this country and it's still very much a part of our communities today. So I don't think it's going anywhere. Like you mentioned that football might be more popular, but I still I don't know, I'm I'm still down for going to a baseball game and, you know, getting peanuts and throwing shells on the floor. It's fun. It's just a fun thing to do. It could be that uh, you know, I'm just too much of a baseball fan, but I I've always been struck by just the history of baseball and the fact that of kind of our major sports, it ha- it goes back into like the, the Civil War. You had both sides playing kind of a baseball game and using the Knickerbocker rules. Um, and then up into the 19th, you know, up into the 20th century, baseball was with us through this kind of heavily transformative period, this post-Civil War period into the 20th century, First World War, Second World War, players went off to war, um, you know, the civil rights movement. It's been there at kind of every step of the way. And maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe if I was passionate about football, I could kind of say, no, no, there's, there's a parallel here. But I've always kind of felt like baseball's been there you know, longer kind of woven into the American tapestry. And so it sort of has this cachet with us where it's it's been there long enough that it is kind of part of our identity, at least for a lot of Americans. Yeah, there's there's no other sport that's like that. Football, professional football really goes back to the 50s. Mostly college football goes back a little further. Um, basketball, not as far. The other great sport in America, American history in the 19th century and the early 20th century is boxing. I mean, Mm. boxing and baseball were the two great American sports for a long time. People have forgotten about that. Uh, You know, hockey is pretty regional. Soccer has never caught on in in the States as it has in Europe. Adam, to go back to what you were saying about this idea of during the Civil War, the both sides coming together to play a baseball game. I'd never heard that story before. I, I love that. It just, I think it, 
again, it connects back to this idea of civics and teaching civics, which is what the Bill of Rights Institute is all about. And just this idea that you can reach across the aisle and find a commonality with someone if they don't have the same views as you. And that that can mean politically, but it also means like informally, right? Baseball is not politics, or maybe it is politics. Maybe that's a whole other conversation. But um, just this idea that, again, sports as a unifier, as a building. um, So we talk about, you know, having our president, Dr. David Bob talks about eat your vegetables, civics, just this idea of sort of shoving (laughs) civics down someone's throat. But there's also civics that is that is informal. That's maybe like pizza civics or chip civics, where it's, you know, it's sports, it's still associating with other people and society and having these rivalries and having these competitions, but it's all in the sense of building a community of building this, this fabric. So I think that's, and maybe that's a good, a good way to, to end our discussion. So thank you both so much, Adam Cushing and Dr. Vincent Canato for being with us today. I know I learned a lot. I'm really excited to do talk to my husband. He probably knows all of these things anyway, but, but I certainly learned a lot about baseball and listeners. I hope you all learned something as well. If you have any comments on this episode or future episodes, please write to us at comments at fabricofhistory.org. And you can find us on all the social media places. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, everyone, keep asking questions. The Bill of Rights Institute engages, educates, and empowers individuals with a passion for the freedom and opportunity that exists in a free society. Check out our educational resources and programs on our website, mybri.org. Any questions or suggestions for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Just email us at comments at fabricofhistory.org. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to stay connected and informed about future episodes. Thank you for listening. 